You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and today we have episode 47, and Fran, I literally have the best tree joke. You would not believe uh, it. <laughs> I, I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the joke. That was a joke. Yeah, it was it was a corny. <laughs> I'm not really happy with your reaction here. I'm just going to have to shrub it off. <laughs> All right. You know, how can you not laugh at that? You have to laugh at that. I, I think you have to. All right. Is there more? Or is that it? No, that's it. That's <laughs> that, it. That's it. Right. I, did, I did my research. I'm not going to abuse my power of all these tree jokes I have now. So. <laughs> no, this is... You know, if this is going to be your thing, it's going to be harder and harder every Buzz episode to, like, we don't even know what the next Buzz episode is Yeah, yeah, I'm, yet, I'm so. wasting them all now. So <laughs> we might do something on trees in the future, and good thing there was a list of 21, and I only <laughs> used three, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not prepared. I wasn't prepared for that. I don't even know how to respond. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, Wow. Yeah, wow. we, we have a lot planned for today. We and really we've, do. We're going to try and not make another hour and a half, maybe an hour and 29 minutes. I don't care but, if it's uh, an hour and a half if it's good content. Like, and yeah. we've been really good content. And yeah, actually. we've gotten a lot of really good feedback. People saying, hey, I didn't realize I had like 20 of the 25 things you listed in my yard. I'm really excited to bloom, like see them all bloom. And um, other people are saying uh, that it's some good feedback, or not feedback, it's some good information for things that they want to put in their yard and, and good like good ideas to where to start you um, know and, and i i do agree and and it was mentioned in our facebook group that shrubs kind of get overlooked you know, you could say that about everything but we talk mm -hmm. about trees an awful lot but the understory yeah. is really very important to our our woods and our landscape and and it's um you know we don't we don't talk about it we tend to focus on trees or mm -hmm. herbaceous so it, yeah. it was kind of nice that we spent some time on that and and brought it to light and, and gave it some good press and and hopefully everyone's putting their list together for what shrubs they want to mm -hmm. want to plant so so i listen i'm so distracted every time i look at the screen and see so <laughs> we both yeah we both did wear the same color shirt and if yeah. you're watching the video you know that fran typically has a uh, beautiful nursery background. Even in the, the depths of winter, he has this yeah. green nursery background behind him. Yeah. And I'll, I'm going to spoil it for everyone. It's a green screen. It's not real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we use a green screen. Well, I wore a green shirt today. So I sat down in front of it and the, the nursery setting was on my, my chest. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to flip it around to the blue screen, which that's why they, huh. they do that. So you have the yeah. blue and the green. And now the my my color he's it oh, looks man. like he just got back from a caribbean vacation yeah or is it pronounced caribbean we, I, we don't uh, want to get into that <laughs> so. but the my color when i look in the screen it just looks so unnatural like i feel like i'm popping out of the screen like mm -hmm. I'm, like yeah. well but, we you can't let it throw you off your game we have 
an hour of time to fill here, if not more, <laughs> and uh, and we can't get <laughs> wrapped up. Then. All right. Well, you want to so, you want to kick right in? Yeah, we're we're all spruced up. I promise not to get too sappy. Uh, we're gonna get this started. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get this started as always with that's hot. Hot. <laughs> I had to keep two in the canister there for it to pull out later. <laughs> uh, I I know that that can't be the last of them. That there's going to be more. Would Would you like to go first this week, or would you like me to? Why go don't first? you go first? All right, I'm going to prepare real quickly. My, you know, this is how badly I'm prepared this week. So I always, for if you're watching the video, I always have a backdrop of what my that's hot plant is, and. I, I took this from my own yard. Like a lot of times I'm using pictures from mm -hmm. the, the Pinelands Nursery uh, archives. But I decided this is, you know, for once I picked a plant that we don't grow. <laughs> and uh, I, I just put it on behind me and you can't see it because I'm <laughs> I'm directly in front of it. So You're I'm going to have gonna, to duck. Right, this would have so. been perfect if you had the green screen because then it would have showed up. Yeah, it would have right showed up. Oh, I didn't <laughs> even think about that. It would have showed up on my chest. That, <laughs> that would have been perfect. So um my that's hot is something we don't grow i don't know that i've ever picked something that we didn't grow before yeah, I'm not sure so this is a, a first for me but skunk cabbage um mm -hmm. and what makes me think of spring all the time is i have one lone skunk cabbage which is uh simplocarpus fetidus um in my yard and it's one of the first things to kind of show a sign of life and it's and it's it it comes back every year. I just have one. It's it never multiplies. It's just that one lone skunk cabbage. So uh, I noticed it in my yard um, the other day, and I was like, "Wow, yeah, it's getting to be that time of the year." So um, it's it's typically found in low wetlands and hill slopes. Um, if you step on it, it kind of it gets its name because if you step on it or bruise mm -hmm. the, the foliage, it gets this musty, skunky smell. Uh, it's kind of more of an ephemeral. Once you hit August, it kind of disappears. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, mild toxicity to humans. Uh, but other than some medicinal uses for respiratory diseases in the 19th century, um, the thoroughly dried rootstocks can be made into a pleasant cocoa-like flower. So hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just thought that was some an interesting use. And, and it's, you know, to me, when I think of skunk cabbage, uh, when we had Burlington County Parks on, we talked about Crystal Lake and how it's mm -hmm. kind of – like uh, there's invasives, but it's kind of more of a Piedmont, like little cross section in a coastal plain yeah, area, yep. and it's and it's really interesting. They have this huge by the lake uh, ravine that's just filled with skunk cabbage. So like you kind of come around the corner, and it's it's kind of beautiful. Like when you see thousands of them. Yeah. So no, it is. It's especially in a lot of our our northeastern ecosystems now, yeah. where the understories depleted by deer they really yeah. do stand out yeah. and i remember when i was a, a kid that um it was actually a church youth group trip and we went <laughs> to go look at all the skunk skunk cabbage in the woods really and um yeah we have a very interesting pastor in our town and uh <laughs> and pastor neil I, I don't know if he's a listener he, he i'm sure he'd enjoy it I, if he did yeah, listen I, but he with our youth group and this was when i was a teenager we'd go on different excursions but he always tried to connect us to nature in some way that was one of the things i always remember and it was uh actually walking like an old railroad that went through our town and we like we went into the woods and played with the skunk cat yeah and so. and that's not something you always find in your nurseries or garden centers because it is an ephemeral mm -hmm. uh kind of like uh uh marsh marigold or yep. things like that the yep. kind of like uh 
Canadian, like one of the other things, and it will probably end up being on my that's hot is I have a patch of Canadian Mayflower in my mm-hmm. my yard that's there yeah. naturally, and that's not something you see too often, especially in our area. Yeah. So, yeah. but it's it's one of those things that when it hits, it's like wow, you know. Mm-hmm. But then it slowly. Yeah. And it, to, it seems like in some of these native plant Facebook groups, at least in the Mid Atlantic Northeast, skunk cabbage is getting some. Um, gaining some clout as like a, yeah. a wet area landscape plant if you want to use native plants yeah it's you know it, it likes terrible, a another shady you know like so shady, many native wet. plants well, yeah like so many native plants they have terrible names this is probably it yeah it's a a, a true name it's an yeah. accurate name but it's a horrible but it's name. A, not a good name for a plant that you're going to want to put in your yard exactly but no it has a lot of great characteristics if if you can come across it and you have like a low wet shady spot it's it's mm-hmm. perfect for it so yeah. what do you got so this week mine is uh keeping with the tree theme i picked acer rubrum which is oh, a, a facultative nice. species and mm-hmm. the main reason is as we've said a couple times we're starting to get into well now it is officially spring things are starting to pop and that's one of the first things that pops it's really good for pollinators it's a it's insect pollinated and the reason you don't usually think of red maple and and a lot of maples being insect pollinated um is because their flowers are way up at the top of the tree so you're you're not looking up and seeing these bees flying around or even really seeing the flowers when they are 30 60 90 feet up in the air yeah so um one of the things, and I think you even mentioned this in the office, and one of our new employees mentioned it too, is he hates the name red maple. He prefers swamp maple. Yeah. Um, red maple for the the bright color that it gets in in the fall. Yeah. Um, and that, but it typically does grow in a lot of swamps. It it is. That's its other common name, swamp maple. Yeah. So I, you know, what what I don't like about the name red maple, and again, yeah, it it it, it talks about its flower and mm-hmm. and and it says of its fall color, but. I think people hear red maple and they think Japanese mm-hmm. cutleaf maple or they think Crimson King Norway maple, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and Norway maples are very invasive and, yeah. and Japanese maple is a, is a Japanese maple. It's not a native maple. So mm-hmm. – and, and that's even kind of seeds like a little prolifically in my – you know, it's not something I would consider invasive, but it seeds, mm-hmm. you know, pretty Acer palmatum. Um, so it's, it's confusing and I think it's a confusing message. So swamp maple or – that's why we talk about – botanical names yeah. oh, yeah. rubrum on that one is yeah. is a way to go but so yeah some other things about it it grows fast it grows really tall um doesn't get like a super wide trunk you're not going to find like a, a four foot in diameter trunk or five no. foot in diameter trunk very very often if at all um and like i said it's one of the earliest blooms for pollinators it's the host plant for the cecropia moth as well as oh, a couple nice. other other moths but i was an interesting one because a lot of people know the cecropia moth uh, the seeds are called Samaras, which is just a fun word to say. And uh, my favorite thing is that you can, well, not the best maple to make, make maple syrup. You can use it to make yes. maple syrup. Yeah. And I'm in my period where we just made maple syrup out yeah. of red maple sap. And I go and buy my maple walnut ice cream from Halo Farms. And I just kind of put some in a bowl and just drench it in <laughs> maple syrup and have a, a great like after dinner late night snack oh, <laughs> thing i'm sure that's now i want good ice for cream. you but yeah but no that's 
if you're in the New Jersey area and you haven't been to Halo Farms, that's a place you got to go. And that's in Trenton? That's Trenton uh, Lawrence, It's in, I guess, Lawrence Township, Lawrence technically. Township, it's right on the yeah. border of Trenton and, and Lawrence Township. But, um, yeah, that's a place you definitely have to go to. And, yeah. and for those of you – Tom mentioned it. For those of you that don't know, the, the seats are Samara. So they are the wing type where you see them mm-hmm. kind of like fluttering yeah. like a helicopter off the tree. You break them in half and then split them and stick them on your nose. Yeah. And there's all kinds of things. That, yeah. <laughs> People call them the helicopter yeah. seats. Yeah, they look but, like helicopters. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, Halo Farms, definitely. If you're in oh, that yeah. area, if you've never uh, never been there, that's, that's some great ice cream. Halo Farms is like a, an actual gem. And I yeah. was lucky enough that I uh, I was in a rec lacrosse league that was like right down the street, yeah. and I was going in there at like ten thirty at night and getting six pints of ice cream for my wife and I and milk. And then Christmas, I heard yeah. the eggnog was really good. I was never really an eggnog fan, but their eggnog is fantastic, right. and they had eggnog ice cream. Real. Right. So I we one day we made an eggnog float, here, here, <laughs> eggnog and eggnog ice cream. Here's my question yeah. to you: Having had both. Now we're going to get off topic. Yeah. Which would you rate higher, Halo Farms or Stewart's up in upstate New York? Now, for for hmm. those of you, Stewart's is more like in the Albany area of New York, mm. more upstate, like Syracuse, and it's it's a yeah. local um, convenience store and ice cream place. Um, Man, that's really really close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and and this shouldn't be confused. Stewart's used to be, or well, is still a a root fast beer, food root beer root chain as well. Jersey, you get the Stewart yeah. root beer at yeah. convenience stores. I don't know how widespread. And they that have is. very similar logos, but they're different. The coloring was yeah. one was like maroon colored, and one was orange, but it was the same type. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I actually asked. I had a, a the owner of Stewart's came to one of my college classes because I okay. went to college in that area, and um, and it originated as like a dairy farm. That was okay. one of the ways they branched off. Was one was an ice cream parlor, one was a convenience store and okay. diner, and they kind of joined them joined together. Them. And uh, an interesting tidbit is that the Albany area of New York is um, <clears throat> consumes, in, in, from the nationwide studies, eighty or 20% less ice cream than the rest of the country because they don't include Stewart's in their calculations. Ah. So... Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of Stewart's fans up there. I would Stewart's really is tough. really good. And some of their some of their flavors and concoctions are phenomenal. Yeah, the I would lean towards Stewart's just because they have some like the crumbs along the Mohawk uh, yeah, with yeah. like the graham cracker ice cream with uh, graham cracker. That that's yeah, that's pretty awesome. awesome. Yeah, you can get some really good stuff at Halo Farms, but yeah. they're not quite as creative, I guess. Yeah, I I think Stewart's is definitely more creative, yeah. and it's every day we would go to a different. Like we would get a different ice cream, not yeah. go to a different yeah. stewards, but it's like you wanted to try everything because everything was so good. And it's like you get a cone and it's <laughs> like oh, two it feet giant. high. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. All right. We but. should probably get back on topic a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, if you're in those parts of the country, that's where you need to go for yes. ice cream. Yes. We know food. That's <laughs> yeah. one thing we know. <laughs> that's, that's, if we're not talking about plants in the office, we're talking about food. Yeah. So our next segment is, uh, this week's botany-based current events, and as always, it's always a competent competition. We're gonna move right into this or that. So the uh, winner from uh, the last Buzz episode with Shrubs for this and that is Tom. Eleven to six. I literally asked everyone. <laughs> I even voted for Tom. I asked everyone to vote for Tom. And I still got six votes. Yeah. And the, to clarify that two of those votes were you my it. wife and I. So, <laughs> so we, that was my pity vote. Although yeah. she did say it wasn't a pity vote. Yeah. And and realistically, 
I thought your argument for why your article was bad was yeah. better than my argument for why my article was good. So yeah. that's why I voted for you. Well, thank you. And I voted for you because I, I felt that your your uh, article and, and the way you presented it was more pertinent than than mine. So, But I'm glad that the listeners felt that way also. Mm-hmm. I felt that your article deserved to win. So 11 to 6, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. So you get to choose. Do you I'm, want to go first or last? I'm going to put you on the spot. And have you go first? Okay. Do I? Do I, I? I almost never go first. I've been taken first a lot lately. All right. All right. So uh, let me bring my article up because, of course, I didn't write it down. Uh, so it is called "New Analysis Shows Potential for Solar Canals in California," and it's on the uh, UC Santa Cruz website. This sounds like it's going to be crazy. Yeah, and <laughs> it's solar canals. Yeah, and this it's is... by Allison Ortega. Sorgel, I, I I know I'm butchering her name, and I'm, I'm apologizing if she ever happens to listen to this. I'm I'm so sorry, but um, so they started, they published a study, um, in collaboration with uh, UC Water and Sierra Nevada Research Institute, um, where they're they're talking about covering California's 6,300 kilometer network of public water delivery canals with solar panels, uh, thinking it would be a feasible means for advancing both renewable en- energy and water conservation because they found that by doing this, um, it actually shades the canal and helps to prevent water evaporation. Mm-hmm. So it was better water retention. Um, and and they go through and it, it was a very highly successful study. And, and the pictures show these like meadows with these canals cut in and, and on both sides they have solar panels. So – my argument for that and, – and I wanted to do this not because I thought it was a great idea. Not, not that I'm saying that it's a bad idea, but I, I figured it would be more of a conversation because to me when you look at the photos – and maybe it's the area. Maybe you know it, It's probably – it looks pretty desolate, and it's probably not an area in which you're going to get a forest. You know, the, It doesn't look like there's any forest in that, <laughs> in that mm-hmm. area. But – to me, that's what a riparian buffer does is help water evaporation. It cools the water temperatures down. Um, and you can see they have a meadow, but there's no woodies at all. And maybe there's not enough moisture there to actually um, to, to sustain a, a woody mm-hmm. riparian buffer. And I, the other thing I don't know is if these canals are cement-based. Yeah. You know, yeah. because it is a water delivery system, they may be cement based more than anything. So I just kind of felt like, if if it is cement based and it's in such an arid place that you're not going to get a riparian buffer, that's probably a great way. But I don't think we focus enough on putting solar panels in places that isn't taking away from open land or wildlife. Mm-hmm. Like I think Emil Devito mentioned it uh, numerous occasions that you know I would love to see more. Like all these buildings in urban cities yeah. where you can host yeah. uh, solar panels on the top and, and catch all this energy in an area where you're not going to have uh, wildlife or plant mm-hmm. material instead of uh, – there's so many open fields around here that are becoming solar farms. And it's – I know there's a lot of work being done with using it for pollinators, but it's still taking away – it's not a natural ecosystem. It's still mm-hmm. fragmenting the forests. Yeah. So yeah. – You'd I, think well, like with solar panels – Put them on warehouses. Put them yeah. in parking lots. Like it, the ones on parking lots that we've seen over top are, of parking lot, like are great. It, yeah. it protects your car. It's like if you're if you're at a 
football game you're tailgating well now you're in the shade instead of the beating hot sun yeah like there's a lot of benefits to to having them in those places but from what i've heard it's a lot more expensive to do it that way yeah you know and i know it's raised but it's already over cement that's already Mm -hmm. you're already pushing water off of that it's it's not soaking through the cement you know you're already running it off in ditches to sewers or so forth so at least it's not it's it's making a use out of unusable mm-hmm. area. Yeah. When you first said canals, I was thinking canals like we have around here, where yeah. it's they used to be for for um, like water transport, yeah. where yeah. they were moving goods over water and towing them with with the the donkeys on the side. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't thinking about oh yeah, California has to source someone's water from northern or the mountains in California and bring it down to and, and that's to what the is, cities yeah. like Los Angeles. They got to source their water from other places. In the... So yeah, when I was thinking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, why? Well, like I don't see. Yeah, you're generating electricity out of it. Yeah, and um, and you're cooling the water. But yeah, that's what a riparian buffer does. So now I can kind of understand. You have to keep this into this context aqueduct because... clean in yeah. a way so that yeah. you're not getting debris that's going to cause problems down downstream. So yeah, yeah. I can kind of understand why it's. It could be beneficial. But. Maybe it's just a maybe a better way of water transportation needs to be because it's very unnatural in how yeah. it's done, mm-hmm. and maybe it needs to be. I don't know. You know, this is one of the things that we're um, I guess spoiled with being in the Northeast. It's not like we have a shortage of water here, which I know isn't necessarily the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, Californians can't necessarily say the same thing. So yeah, and it's uh like the other thing I thought of as well aren't. How's it cool in the water? Because every time you get a rain event, it's going to hit the panels, and then you're you're increasing your water um, temp, yeah. your water temp that but, way. But it's also entering the the waterway a lot faster. But then we're talking about a place that doesn't, doesn't have the same water. rainfall, yeah. and it's 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 a little different than what I was picturing. It's an interesting product. Yeah, it's like a really interesting application. I think, and it, I just don't know enough about that area. I've I've never been that area, so I'm not sure. Yeah, how I mean, work? We need someone from California to weigh. We do, weigh and, in. and like I said, California is our fourth biggest market for this podcast. Yeah. So if someone can call into the questioner comment line and and maybe tell us a little bit about that, you know, because yeah. it's at first it just seemed it didn't add up to me but the more you talk about it and the more you look at it you go it makes sense there it yeah. does it wouldn't make sense here but yeah. it it probably makes sense there Yeah. when and you I, first started talking about it, i'm like oh yeah i can't wait to rip into this article yeah, but, but it's really can't. not that yeah no, it's it's not as far-fetched as i thought um and it would be really interesting to work in other ecological benefits in addition to the solar panel yeah. i think there's there's some I don't know enough about it. <laughs> I mean, you're creating energy and you're helping the water quality, yeah. which is which is extremely important, especially if you're in an area with that doesn't have an abundance mm-hmm. of, of water. You know, I would just like to see other ecological benefits other than than that. Maybe I'm asking for too much, but hopefully, maybe this is the first step in multiple steps. And yeah, I don't it's... I don't know that ecosystem enough to comment mm-hmm. on. It. It's amazing how, how like the things that humans can come up with to solve problems. Yeah, I guess my usual response to to that statement is, well, sometimes you got to take a step back and just not cause the problem yeah. instead of finding the solution for the problem. But um, but yeah, this might be something where you do need a solution to the problem. I don't, I like I said, I don't know enough about it. I know there was talks, well, ten years ago or more, probably even longer, was when they started where they were talking about like pump pump uh, piping water from the Great Lakes to the Southwest because you had a glut of water in 
the, the Midwest and, and Northeast, and you have like a water desert in the Southwest, and then you have, but with the Great Lakes, you have like international but, disputes and, and all yeah, kind of, there's you, you, so many things that could happen, but it's like, how do you tell the people who live in that area, well, you can't have water with when you have such a surplus like we have such a surplus yeah, of water but, here you know the thing is those ecosystems are based on that mm -hmm. type of water collection yeah. too if you change if you change that mm -hmm. then you're changing the whole ecosystem as well so yeah. it's kind of and i take I, it back because there, there's the whole thing with so much water is going just to water lawns um well, and yeah. that you're so yeah, like I know in Colorado is the same thing. Like so much water that they were using was just going to water lawns, which was doing nothing. No. It was just a literally, it's just a status symbol, especially in that area where you're not supposed to have a lawn. Yeah, and, at um, least that's going back down into the aquifer and recharging. Yeah. Unless it's running off, you know. Oh, I'm sure a lot I'm of it a, runs off. I'm and sure then, it's running off because yeah. where you have turf, it's probably harder ground. It's not necessarily yeah. soaking in, and you're getting water water runoff. So it's yeah, you know, and that's a great reason for um wanting to get rid of lawns yeah oh yeah completing lawns yeah. it's and there's some movements especially out it, in colorado's it, a, a fairly progressive state and yeah. that's that's a big movement that's happening in colorado at least i know it was five years ago and yeah. i'm sure it's it's only accelerated since then but so, no I, interesting yeah so that's my article all right what, what you got what you got this week mine is actually from a, a local public um, news outlet called WHYY, and oh, it's uh, okay. called The Ban on Invasive Plants, Great Win for Delaware Conservation. And oh, it was I, written by... Uh, I saw this article but did not read it. Mark Eichmann. Okay. So uh, basically what you have here is Delaware, and who's, and they aren't the first state to ban the sale of invasive plants, but uh, but they are the most recent state to ban the sale of invasive plants. And they are it's not really just the sale, it's the sale, import, or planting. And it's 37 invasive plants. Um, wow. We've got to know, uh, or know of at least, Assemblywoman Stephanie Hansen from Delaware. And uh, and actually, I was, I forgot all about this. They did a like a native plant program. I can't remember what the bill's name was. But I was invited down oh, to yeah, there, and there. I don't. We, I brought a whole bunch of plants for a bunch of assembly men and women, and um, and all the visitors. And I got to be in the signing, like in the signing room. And they even gave me the governor's pen. It's my favorite pen. It's uh, the best pen to, <laughs> to write with. But he, like he, this was pretty cool because I got to see. This was a different bill. I'm getting off topic yeah. already. But they're signing this native plant bill, and uh, and I got to be in the room. They actually even asked me to talk. I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> they didn't tell me anything. Hey, I thought it was just dropping off plants and watching, but hey, I got to stand up front and, and say something. And um, and and not being from Delaware, that was even more interesting. Yeah. But uh, and then at the end, they the governor signed the bill. He signed it with the first pen, second pen, third pen, and then they gave me one of the pens that he signed oh, it with. That's awesome. So that was pretty cool. But he did it again, uh, and this is <clears throat> Governor Carney from Delaware. And he signed this into law, and it's really just to, to curb the invasive problem that's happening all over the country, yeah. but especially in the Mid-Atlantic. And uh, and more and more st states are stepping up to the plate. New York did something a handful of years ago, now Delaware. New Jersey had something ready to go, and it got scaled back. That was about a decade ago. Yeah. got scaled back, but there's talks of putting it back in action. And um, really, we just have such an invasive plant problem, and the Biggest key, if you talk to Doug or Dr. Doug Talamy, you talk to Mike Van Cleef, the biggest key to 
starting these native communities, especially in wild places and returning them to their former glory is getting rid of the invasives. And part of that is just stopping, cutting it off so that no more can come in. The more that are coming in, the more that they're able to spread. Yeah. We can't always get rid of the ones that are in street plantings or, or landscapes in residential areas. They're there to stay in a lot of cases until the homeowner or our business owner is educated enough to remove them themselves. Yeah. But at least in Delaware, there's not going to be any more coming in. So, And yeah. in this article, you had, um, like I said, State Senator Stephanie Hansen. I called her Assemblywoman before. Okay. She's actually State Senator. Okay. Difference there. Um, yes, big difference. She she proposed the bill, and she advocates for it to be updated periodically and, and have additions. She basically yeah. said, these 37 plants aren't the only invasive plants. Yeah. We want to add to this list as time goes on. And... Uh, Doug Talmy weighed in on how invasives destroy habitat and, and gave a lot of insight there. Uh, you had Jeff Downing, who's the, the director yeah. of the Mount Cuba Center, yeah. and he clarified that really all not all non-natives are bad. Like yeah. you can, Tulips aren't going to go and take over the forest, yeah. but natives basically across the board are better than their non-native yeah. counterparts. Um, and some of the things that were on that list that were are now banned for, for sale, planting, and import in Delaware are multiflora rose, Japanese honeysuckle, autumn olive, calorie pear, and Chinese wisteria. Awesome. And like I said, there's 37 total. Yeah. And um, some of them are somewhat available in the nursery trade. Yeah. Some of them were almost non-existent in the nursery trade. Um, but it's a really, really good first step. That's a fantastic And step. I'm hoping... Within the next year or two, we're going to get the same thing done in New Jersey. Yeah. I know we're involved in the the talks of that happening, at least yeah. in a, a minor role. Well, just what you read off is huge. Oh, you yeah. Know, like, if you can stop calorie pair, that's huge. Like, that's that's some great things. So having lived in Del, I lived in Delaware for five years. Um, you know, most of most of the population in that state is is in northern Delaware above mm -hmm. the C and D Canal. So it's like that Wilmington, Newark area like and even there's a huge area in that wilmington harbor with phragmites and i know they've been working on fixing a lot of problems there you know but once you get south of the cnd canal it's a lot of um agriculture mm -hmm. you know and and there's yeah. a there's a lot of area disturbed land where invasives can really take over oh, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. so it's really nice to see i mean other than dover you mm -hmm. know it's a lot of smaller yeah. towns oh, yeah. and you know, so it's it's really nice to see that they're they're protecting that and they're on the forefront of that. Yeah, and and for everyone listening, this is like one of the key times, at least in my mind, and again in the Mid Atlantic, to see uh, where invasive plants are the most obvious. Yeah, like we're about to see the. They might even, if you're a little south of here, they might even be blooming already. But the the Bradford and calorie pear, or yeah. calorie pear, Bradford being a cultivar yeah. of. Um, I think in like the southeast they're already blooming and there's yeah. you're just going to see more and more of them and if you, there's something you can do about them if it's on a property that you have access to and permission to to get rid of them or it's on your property do your part get rid of them they they really aren't good for, for very much yeah. of anything no so. and and they they breed so much other disease issues yeah. as well but yeah. you know we talk about this all the time and i feel like we're we're you know we're we're overkilling it you know because it's something yeah. we deal with all the time but then on facebook the other day our friend Roz uh posted mm -hmm. something about this yeah this bill yeah. and 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 uh calorie pairs and someone said why would you not why would you want to ban calorie pairs they're so beautiful like so mm -hmm. completely like unaware of oh yeah and what's going on i and guess one of the benefits of calorie pair and i don't even know this is exactly true but i've heard that they will pollinate 
pear tree, like fruit trees that you have in yeah. your yard. Yeah. So if you have fruit trees, I guess that's a benefit. But how many people actually have pear fruit We're trees? We're not really there? in the best, <laughs> climate, in the best for, climate. Yeah. But one another thing I've been seeing on Facebook was um. By the way, I had a pear a, tree in my yard growing up in Levittown. Mm-hmm. Not one edible fruit in uh, really? all the years I lived there. Yeah. <laughs> before it got taken down. Yeah. yeah. But uh, there's a, a post that goes all it's has a whole bunch of I think it's dandelions in the foreground, and they're saying oh leave the weeds for all the the insects, and in the background is all just cali pear just yeah. lying in the street on both sides. I'm like this is not the the meme you want to be putting up. <laughs> no. This is not a good one. <laughs> but but I've been seeing a lot of articles and memes about how bad or a calorie pair is yeah is now. Yeah. yeah which is good it's it needs to raise awareness i i at this point because we deal with it i want to mm. think that everyone knows and they're just mm. but it's it's apparent that and so it, many people it have comes no up idea. in almost every single podcast we do yeah i'd, I'd say 90 percent so at least 75 percent, probably 90 percent of the podcasts we talk about there's some mention of how invasives are making their job harder in some way we need more people to listen to yeah. the podcast that's yeah. the only yeah. solution oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> great article i think yeah. that's a great article you too so, thank you thank you so much so we'll get it up on the uh facebook group friday friday saturday yeah yeah i'm, I'm gonna we'll i've been vote. better i promised last week i said or last time i said you did i'd have it up by two o'clock and I literally had it up at two, 2, o'clock. two o'clock. Yeah, I saw looked at the clock and I'm like, oh, it's one fifty eight. I told everyone I'd have it up by two, and, and I just did it. Real and quick. we had a large amount of but, votes, and we yeah. didn't even bump oh, it yeah. for more votes. Mm-hmm. You know, we we kind of let yeah. it go. So, yeah. so we'll uh, make sure you look and make sure you vote. We'll All keep right. going. So, yeah, uh, friend, do we have any calls this week? I want to ask you a bunch of questions, and I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um, no, I didn't hear you. What was your question? Yeah. I'll we, take that as a yes. And we, we do have one call in, and I'll let you guess. I'll give you three oh, guesses. Gosh. The first two do not count. Yeah, I was going to say, is it Dr. Evil again? I it's, hope he, I hope it's him. <laughs> it's not Dr. Evil. Our our friend Saul did did uh, call in. So, uh, okay. That's, uh, he's actually been pretty funny lately. He, he has been, been, you know, he's <laughs> he has been really funny lately. So he, he left us another message. Are you ready for it? I don't have any other choice. You do not. Here we go. Hi, fellas. Hi, hi, uh, uh, Pam and Thomas. Thomas the English Muffin. Oh, by the way, uh, fellas, gentlemen, I, I do love the hold music that uh, you were playing earlier. I, I'm very fond of that uh, musical piece, so thank you. Pam, I, a special, what do you kids say? The shout-out? A special shout-out to you for uh, the lovely uh, Hickory Farms a summer sausage and and the cheese uh, log with the pecans on it. Uh, when I was recuperating um, in the hospital from that fall, now uh, Thomas, uh, Tommy, we're friends now. I could call you Tommy. Tommy, I don't know if you knew. I was having a lemonade in in my in my backyard and um, just contemplating uh, the scenery and the birds were coming around, wild and I love it. And uh, what happened was, Tom, I had. Um, a raccoon, I believe it might have been rabid, I don't know, it could have been, I was a little worried from that, uh, came along and he took my cell phone and my wallet and ran up a tree. And I wasn't going to stand for that because that's my lifeline. Tom, you know, you probably don't have many friends and you have to talk on the phone a lot so to, to get people. So I went climbing up that tree and... Uh, 
a branch broke down on under me and I fell and I hit my head bone and I'm I'm okay now but it hurt awful so Pam was nice enough to send me a, a gift from the Hickory Farms and uh, I, I do hope when the so-called distancing is over that we could all be back at the mall and happy and shopping but uh, gentlemen that's not why I'm calling today oh and by the way um, I don't know who does the design work but I had a very difficult time finding you fellas on on MySpace, but I did find it eventually, and I I, I like that page. It's very helpful uh, for me. Uh, but my topic today, guys, is w- what I like to call understoried trees. Now, uh, Tom, I know you know this, and, and so do you, Pam. An understoried tree is a tree that is not talked about a lot. It is understoried. So I thought perhaps you could have a discussion uh, with each other and, and with the, the family out there in Radio Land who listens and tunes in faithfully about understoried trees. I was talking to a young lady. I was in the supermarket, and, um, I, you know, we were talking about the native plants, as one does all the time now, and I, I mentioned uh, one called the Pinus rigida, and she said she hadn't seen a Pinus rigida in some time. And I'm not sure if that's a joke or not, but I'm I'm just repeating, you know, words. That... <laughs> that, there you have it. <laughs> that was a doozy. <laughs> that, that that was... Was... <laughs> all right, <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it's all. <laughs> Sorry, that's me bag. We know it's me bag. It, I I think <laughs> as as with. So many of Saul's phone calls, we have to set the record straight because there's so many misconceptions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure where he's getting his information from. It's probably not. It's probably MySpace. <laughs> is my best guess. Uh, the, the now defunct social media platform. Yeah. As far as I know, it's defunct. Well, just, Justin Timberlake still owns it. I don't yeah. know what he's doing with it. At <laughs> one point, it was supposed to be a, like a platform for musicians. Mm-hmm. So, but. Um, we don't have hold music, so I don't know. Yeah. Like, you call our line, and you get a message saying to leave your question or comment. Mm-hmm. So unless he's talking about, when you listen to The Buzz, R.J. Comer's Nightly Suicide, like, I'm maybe. thinking maybe yeah. that's what he's thinking is the hold music. So uh, if you like R.J.'s music, you can stream it or buy it on uh, on iTunes, Apple Music, mm-hmm. Spotify. Um, I don't know who sent him the Hickory Farms gift basket but it wasn't me oh that that was me i just put your name <laughs> on it <laughs> i'm glad you got him i read about it log. i read about it in the paper it was <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> crazed man <laughs> chases raccoon breaks head bone <laughs> your head bone <laughs> so and i i love that now Saul, like he's he's taking yeah. a dig at me every time he calls me pam Mm-hmm. But I love that he's now taking digs at you and <laughs> saying you don't have any friends. Well, you you like my new theme music though, <laughs> well, the Thomas the English muffin. muffin. I did like the Thomas <laughs> the English muffin. Um, we're not on MySpace, so I don't know who he's he's seeing on MySpace. It might be the. He, <laughs> um, I was gonna say with going back to the headphone thing, his his doctor uh maybe is like a, a children's musician or something like that <laughs> like rafi dr yeah. rafi yeah. um but we you can find us on all social media with the exception of tiktok or snapchat yeah um i would imagine at some point I've, that's so a possibility is, yeah i i think 
the someone i don't know if it, it's probably not me um if anyone it's it's my wife who does all our social media yeah. stuff now needs to be the the uh, native plant talk person the tiktok the tiktok about native plants there's a new social media too called clubhouse which oh, is i haven't even seen that one it's uh it's all just live conversations <laughs> I, I, no. you have to have a friend who's. If one of you is on Clubhouse, invite me because I want to get on. Oh, Clubhouse that's the one I have seen. That so that I can, invited, yeah. I can just start talking about native plants, and I'll just, I'll probably just set up my phone in the office someplace and hit yep. play, and then you won't hear much about native plants other than on phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, realistically, maybe it's something where we can somehow tie it into the podcast in some way if we're able to get on we need yeah we need our in we don't have an in yeah. to, to clubhouse yeah i you know i use you know personally like you don't use twitter like i use i don't tweet at all i have a yeah. twitter okay. and I, I probably i'm on twitter more than anything else i use it as my like 2021 newspaper yeah and i'll just follow all the accounts that are are talking about things i'm, I'm interested in news wise and 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 like comedy stuff and all kinds of stuff just all human interest stuff yeah and then i'll just kind of scroll through and i found that's a really good way to decipher uh what's actually happening in in the world yeah because you'll get all these live reactions in a lot yeah. of ways and what's happening and then you can kind of vet through and say okay well what's actually happening here through I, all the tweets that i'm seeing i probably use twitter more than anything else mm -hmm. that's probably my most used social media so we do have yeah. pinelands uh pineland nursery if you mm -hmm. want you can follow me on twitter too it's fran underscore chismar um but we we have that facebook you know we we both use mm -hmm. and instagram i you know i honestly don't i have an instagram account i don't really use it i, I actually have a tiktok account believe yeah. it or not but it's only for my fiance and i have a a YouTube series where we review food, mm -hmm. food, and I use it for for strictly food, that. Really? That's what. That's food? what yeah, yeah, we review food. <laughs> <laughs> it's, if anyone's interested, it's called Takeout Tournaments, and we'll go to two places that have a similar specialty, and we take it to the car and, and we eat it like mm -hmm. right there, and 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 pick a winner because mm -hmm. it's got to be a competition. Yeah, of course, oh, yeah. you know. But uh, you know, so you can follow us on all of that for anyone that doesn't know. I know Saul mentioned Pinus rigida, which is pitch pine, which is our native pine to the pine barrens and, uh, i'm assuming maybe his the the person he was talking to hadn't visited the pine barrens yeah in a yeah while. and that's our our logo as well is a, yeah. is a pitch pine is it real i didn't I know that i believe it is i don't i don't know for sure I'm, maybe i'm making Ooh. that up well it looks like it looks like a pitch pine to me i guess we can yeah we can go to well, the source you know but, i will ask because of course i forgot to bring in the pod deck so when i go to get it i'll ask on the, on the yeah. i'll ask on the way back in so oh. but the the main question he had was he wanted us to talk about understory trees which isn't what he thinks it it means so and but i, I think it's a good way to think about it it, it is a good way to think about it because understory trees probably aren't the most talked about trees mm -hmm. out of the trees but an understory tree is an underlying layer of vegetation specifically the vegetative layer and especially the trees and shrubs between the forest canopy and the ground cover so it's that transition it's on the edge of the forest they're not quite as big they grow underneath the other trees um and we'll talk about one and, and it's a great segue actually because yeah. Oh, yeah. the the topic this week are trees and and we'll discuss as we're going through the trees that we mentioned which ones are mm -hmm. are understory trees or smaller trees so um what do you think yeah, you so the the definition of a tree is a woody perennial plant typically having a single stem or trunk growing to a considerable height 
and bearing lateral branches at some distance from the ground. Is it, so. is it raining? Oh, it's pouring. Yeah, I can I, just tell. I can hear it in <laughs> yeah. the headphones. I yeah. didn't realize, like, we have the windows, like, the blinds down, yeah. and I'm hearing the sound. I'm like, what is that sound? Yeah. Like, I was hoping it wasn't the equipment. So. No, no, it's got, I know it's supposed to rain, so okay. it's got to be. It's got to be outside. rain. Okay. Um, I don't know if they'll be able to hear that. I do, when it was on some of the podcasts I listen to, they'll be, like, camping or something. Oh, yeah, if you hear that sound, it's the the rain hitting the side of the tent. I can, we can finally say that. Yeah. yeah. If you hear that sound, it's actually the rain hitting the, it's, it's the, the side of our there. steel building. Yeah. <laughs> so. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I thought we, you know, like all the other episodes, I, th- I think we just kind of do an A to Z of trees that mm-hmm. we kind of think of, you yeah. know, kind of off of off the top of our yeah. head. Like and we put a small <laughs> list together, but it's it will be – you know, and it's it's probably going to be mainly coastal plain and Piedmont. The, some mm-hmm. stuff will translate across the country, but yeah. um, it's it's probably more geared to what we know here in the in the yeah. Northeast and Mid Atlantic. Yeah. And that's one of probably the most recognizable thing with trees is how the vast ranges some of them have. Like I brought up Acerubrum, and that's yeah. my my that's hot. Well, that has a incredible. I think it goes west out to Texas, and it goes like from northern or mid middle of Florida all the way up to Nova Scotia. Wow, it's it's got a huge, huge range. But then you see, realistically, that's still not that. It's not all the country. No. You have stuff that's uh, particular to the Northwest. You have things that are, are common through the the Midwest and Southeast that aren't in the Northeast. It's um like like pawpaws or yeah. what I'm thinking of yeah. there. Um, yeah, so there are distinct ranges, and I wish we were knowledgeable enough to contribute about all these different ranges, but we're just two mid-Atlantic folks that know yeah. the trees around us. Shucks, we don't get out of our area too much to, you know, that's one thing I would love to expand on as we, we yeah. do this. I would love to be able to be more knowledgeable about yeah. natives We're going to take this show on the road. And... I think we should take it on the road. Yeah. So if anyone has a spare bedroom in your house, you know, <laughs> that you'd like to put us up in, we can, we can set up you shop know, in a, your a, backyard. A low-rent motel. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we can take all this equipment and our laptops yeah. and, and hop in the, the vehicle and start driving across the country. Yeah. What do you think? So, yeah, and as we go through this list, uh, I think that's a great idea, and yeah. I think we got to do it at some point. Yeah, but, I do too. Um, I don't know when. I guess when the pandemic's over, we're going to have to we'll, – we'll make a road trip map of where we're going to go. Yeah, I so. think we should – you know, if anyone's uh, interested, maybe we could do some live shows. Yeah. You know, yep. we can set up at, at a nursery, a native nursery somewhere mm-hmm. else and, and have a conversation and set up native a live show. Native plant society meetings, yeah. those kind of things. Yeah, that would so be cool. I, I think that's, that's, that's great Somewhere the on the horizon. Yes. Yeah perfect but as we go through this list we're gonna try and enunciate as best we can i know sometimes we're just flying through stuff yes and um and i don't have the the best pronunciation anyway when it comes to this kind of stuff i don't either but we're gonna do our best because i know some people are just scurrying to write stuff down feel free to always just rewind a little bit and and you're able to listen to it really as many times as you want Uh, yeah totally totally um so i thought you know considering how how many of our guests pick this as their favorite native plant? And because of uh, Doug Tallamy, I thought we'd have to start with oaks. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, especially white oak is, you know, here in the Northeast, it's such a larger, majestic um, tree. Um, but the amount of lepidoptera, lepidoptera that it hosts is unbelievable. It's such an important tree in our landscape mm-hmm. um, that, that you can't overlook it. But there's, there's so many types of oaks. I wish I would have done a little more research and, and maybe found how many oak varieties there are. 
And I know yeah, Doug Calme in, in Bringing Nature Home talks about that across the country. But, you know, here in – we besides white, we have – and most of them tend to be upland species. Um, uh, white oak, red oak, black oak, um, you know, because of the pine barrens, we have bear oak and post oak and blackjack oak, which tend to be uh, – Blackjack oak actually outside of the Pine Barrens gets a, a lot taller. These are more like shrub-like almost here mm-hmm. in the Pine Barrens because of, of the fire. Uh, yeah. They stay much mm-hmm. like a understory or or a, um, a shrub. But, you know, then you have pin oak, uh, which is more wet, and swamp white oak, uh, which obviously with a name like swamp mm-hmm. white oak uh, can take wetter areas. But a lot of you know those like when we say bare oak and post oak they tend to be a lot scrubbier oak they're not majestic you know mm-hmm. uh chestnut oak uh which has a, a a leaf that it's not like your typical oak leaf uh it's it's a uh, more like a chestnut leaf you have willow oak which really doesn't look like an oak leaf it has that 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 pin oak bark and and if you saw it without its leaves, you would easily be able to identify an oak if you know an oak like a pin oak. But uh, it has a very narrow uh, leaf like a willow. So mm-hmm. uh, there's there's so many different types of oaks, but they're they're so good with what they host. Yeah. And now one of the things when you talk about oaks is uh, is going back to my joke in the very yeah. beginning is is a lot of them, if not all of them, produce acorns. Yeah. Uh, which are really, really nutritional for wildlife and humans. Um, for humans, I believe it's the white oaks have fewer tannins than the red oaks. Okay. I may be saying that backwards, but I'm pretty sure the white oaks have fewer tannins than the red oaks. And um, but they they one of the really important things is they drop at different times. Yes. So it provides food sources throughout uh, throughout the year. And now I'm thinking about it, is the white oaks have less tannins, and because that's really the preferred wildlife food for turkeys deer those kind of things because they have fewer tannins yeah. it's easier for them to break them down have you ever eaten an acorn uh i have yeah i have never eaten yeah. an acorn. i i've cracked one and eaten one raw which wasn't very good no okay um but i've never had well not not that i can remember i've never had like acorn flour pancakes or anything like that i've always wanted to yeah i just don't want to go through the process of doing it myself but um is that something that uh Samuel Thayer. Oh yeah, he, he is that he, on his he, website. He does yeah. have acorn flour. I'm pretty sure. Okay. I, I haven't been on there in a while, but I'm pretty sure it was on there. Maybe that's something but, we can just invest in yeah, and try it. Yeah. Without. But um, but I've heard it's it's excellent. I'm I know my dad has had some. Okay. But one of the things that's um, uh, I don't want to say surprising. It was kind of surprising to me because you think of how many native oaks there are. Yeah. And. I kind of forget that there are non-native oaks too, and um, yeah, the one that I'm really thinking of is super popular in the the outdoor industry, and that's sawtooth oak, which is actually yeah. somewhat invasive. Quercus acutissima, yeah. yeah, and that's one's it's promoted a lot for deer hunters to plant on their property so that you can attract more deer, and um, but it'll from what i've heard i've never actually seen it can crowd out areas but what another one of the native ones that's they've actually planted it along the uh the path oh did they really yeah oh so i have seen that i just didn't even know you you've seen it yeah Yeah. so we're talking about uh kinkora trail uh the Mm -hmm. parks trail and it's this was back before it was a trail um Mm -hmm. because of uh turnpike mitigation the township was 
given trees to mitigate the trees that were taken down along mm-hmm. the turnpike and that was just i don't know who made the list or but you were just mm-hmm. given x many trees so yeah. i noticed yeah. it was when i walked it was planted yeah there. yeah but uh another oak uh, a native oak is the yeah, at least in the southeast is the live oak yeah which is kind of what you think of when you think of like the the old south and with the branches that kind of bend and almost touch the ground yeah. or do touch the ground and they just get the massive trunks and are huge that's a, a native oak and i know southeast. a more southern one is a chinkapin mm-hmm. uh, yep. oak you know and it's and you have different like tom said you, like where a, a white oak it gets really wide and majestic like a pin oak which is quercus palustris palustris because it's it's branching as palustris it it points downward mm-hmm. like it almost makes like a christmas tree type mm-hmm outline where um you know a lot of the other ones are, are more upright branching so it's it's it, different looks different leaf color you know some of them hold their leaves much longer in the fall mm-hmm. um so they'll they'll go from like a red fall color to like a like a brownish would you say like a reddish yeah, brown yeah. before they mm-hmm. they drop and sometimes they'll hold really long so it's just like a really nice change uh, yeah. uh to yeah. add to the landscape so and very important trees yeah and that's the i don't know if we said in the beginning but that's the quercus genus yes and yes. um and f- as far as like insects go and, and pollinators go that's one of the most important because it's a that's host huge. plant for it's like over 500 different insects yeah that's insane it's uh that, that genus as a whole not yeah. into each individual plant but that's just insane to think of that many insects rely off of off of that, that. species or that genus individual. And, and here in new jersey a lot of our forests are oak forests mm-hmm. there's yep. pine forests oak mm-hmm. forests it's it's you know that's the bulk right. of a lot of our i think red oak is the new jersey state tree it is so. the new jersey state tree and yeah. i was gonna say that later <laughs> ah, there you go. but uh, another thing that and i don't know i haven't been able to find actual written proof of this i've only heard this verbally yeah. from one source and he said that white so white oaks are a super long lived tree. We have one in our town called the Concora oak or the excuse me, the Keeler oak. I'm mixing things up. So we have the Keeler oak and it was because it was on the Keeler farm and it's okay. like a three hundred and some year old tree. A lot of these oaks can live like excess of three hundred years. Yeah. They've been here since um, actually the street that it's on is the site of a Revolutionary War battle. A lot of these trees have been here since the Revolutionary yeah. War. It's in, it's incredible when you think the history of that tree. Um, but one of the things I heard is that the, and I've, maybe I just find it accurate because I'm on the road when I see them, but I've heard that, that they used white oaks to signalize intersections along colonial roadways. Really? Because the bark shone or like would reflect like a silvery color back Okay. from lantern light. And as I noticed, as I've been driving around some of these giant, like, obviously 300 year old oaks yeah i always see them at intersections like the keeler oak is literally at the yeah. intersection of two somewhat main roads in our town yeah. uh in princeton there's a big white oak or at least oh, yeah. i might have cut it down but yeah. it was like right at an intersection yeah i'm like huh maybe am i observing this because i heard that at intersections and i'm just seeing the ones that are at intersections right, and i'm now- not seeing the ones that are not at intersections or or what is it? And like I've actually looked back on some historical road maps and seen that where that tree is is where the intersection was. Like the the intersections are historically accurate to where yeah. they are now if they aren't even closer. Um, but I haven't been able to find it written down anywhere 
that right. it says that that's something that actually happened. It was a presentation I went to, and the guy told that group that, and uh, I don't even remember the guy's name to go ask him. But, All right, I'm going to yeah. do a little research because I would like to. I'm going to start yeah. trying to take notice, um, you know, because we live we live in a in a revolutionary area, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, you know, between Philadelphia and, and New York and so many of these small towns date back around here till the, mm-hmm. to the 1700s. So um, I'll have to take take more notice yeah. of that. There's one at um, the, the New Jersey nursery in Jackson that's – and it's just – that was one of the ones I looked up and where the historic road went was, like, went right by that tree and there was an intersection. Really? Right All right. So All I, right. there's some – at least it's a, a uh, I don't know what's, I'm struggling to find the word. It's something I've noticed to be true. I don't okay. know if it actually is true. So, okay. yeah. Awesome. Moving awesome. on. Uh, maples. Maples. So, uh, you had a great um, pick with That's Hot with Red Maple. Yeah. So, that's, yeah. that's an important one for us. Uh, we also have Silver Maple, mm-hmm. which tends to grow really quickly and, and break a little bit. It can be a little messier, but mm-hmm. it, it, it grows very very quickly so uh growing up i had a silver maple in my backyard that probably it would take three to four people to put there you know and that was planted in the 50s so by the time you know it was the 80s it was already circumference uh Mm -hmm. that that large yeah and so i actually just had someone call me up the other day looking for a silver maple and was saying that they it was in some book and i didn't write the guy's name down as being even it was a particularly about beekeeping but saying that silver maple was even more beneficial the honeybees than red maple wow really um for the timing and everything okay so and again i don't i forget if we said it or not but we did maples are uh, the acer genus yes so yes. red maple is acer, acer rubrum silver maple is Sac- acer saccharinum yes and then sugar maple yes is acer saccharum and that is sure to confuse a yes. lot of you because yeah. saccharinum and saccharum are very, very close. Even in the industry, well, there's confusion because just spelling mistakes, you know, it mm-hmm. happens. Where it's like, oh, no, I meant I, I need it sugar, not silver. Yeah. You know? And that was even in that phone call, They the first time they said saccharinum, the first three times they said saccharinum, and then one time they said saccharum. I'm like, are you sure it's silver? Is it sugar? And Yeah, it's confusing. We didn't have them anyway, so yeah. I couldn't, I didn't, couldn't <laughs> but, help them out. But between those three maples, you have three different fall colors. So silver maple is mm-hmm. yellow, sugar maple is orange orange red maple is red so a nice mixture of those you get a really i think red maple and silver maple are both facultative wets uh, sugar i don't know if it's facultative or facultative upland so actually where we used to see it more uh 20 years ago with with climate change we're actually we don't see it as often it's it's a little further north of us so um you hit like upstate new jersey um or lower new york like rockland county uh it's a lot of uh, sugar maple forest and obviously great for for syrup um yeah and sugar maples it takes um uh, excuse me 40 gallons so for if you're a fan of maple syrup yeah. like i am uh just fun fact it takes 40 gallons of maple sap to make one gallon of maple syrup wow so when you pour that on your pancakes be a little more judicious you know <laughs> unless it's the the fake stuff <laughs> made yeah. out of high fructose corn syrup Oh, the the folks at Sourland Conservancy gifted us uh, some local um, maple syrup that I I can't I haven't cracked into yet, but I'm I'm dying to crack into. I had to use it as my holdover with my ice cream because we ran out of last year's sap. Yeah. That's a real. I don't even like. I barely you know we barely have pancakes, so I maybe had like two or three times on pancakes, yeah. but it's like probably a 
twice monthly occurrence to on, <laughs> yeah. on ice cream. So yeah. that's, that's probably being a little generous <laughs> to me. It's probably a little more often than that. So so locally for us, there the other two maples you may see are box elder and straight maple. Box elder is uh, Acer Nagundo and straight maple uh, Acer Pennsylvanicum, if I remember correctly. But they're more understory. They're not as prevalent. Uh, you don't see them as often, but mm-hmm. uh, two very important maples as well. So, Yeah. Um, next on the list, we have Hackberry, which is Celtis Occidentalis. Yes. And uh, and I really don't know a lot about Hackberry. You know, honestly, I, I don't know a lot of, about it either. You don't see them as often. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, there was one I could think of at a park. It was one of those trees where when I saw it mature, you know, for us at a nursery, you tend to see things at an immature age. Like mm-hmm. most of the time here at, at, at our nursery, the plants are leaving by the time they're four, four foot, six yeah. foot. Yep. So I saw a mature hackberry and couldn't even identify it at first. And then like once I keyed it out, I was like, wow, I, I don't know. You know, then once I realized what it was and I could see the leaf, I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's a little bit more upland, but it's very urban tolerant. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though it's, it is it is a native plant, that's one that does very well on urban city streets. If you're on a busy road um, and you're worried about uh, carbon, that type of thing, that, that can handle it very well. So um, we have our willows, mm-hmm. which, which we talked about, our, our two biggest uh, willows in the area, black mm-hmm. willow, which is a, definitely a larger tree. Uh, and then I wrote pussy willow, but that's uh, – would you consider that a tree or a I, shrub? I think we kind of talked about it a little last yeah. time. I consider it a shrub because m- most of the time when I see it, it's a shrub. But it can become a small tree. Yeah. It can grow up to like 30 feet in, in height. It can be a single stem. Yeah. But it can also be – it's predominantly, in, in my yeah. opinion, a multi-stemmed and grows only to like yeah. – probably eight to ten feet but black willow can get 40 40 to 50 now there's a lot of non-native willows like weeping willows Mm -hmm. are not not native Mm -hmm. um you know but very similar conditions willows uh, are are wet species they like uh like banks of of waterways things like that they they perform very well yeah and as we mentioned last time you can use them as a live stake and just if you get a, a cutting of it you can literally just stick it in the ground and it'll grow in a lot of cases it's, oh. they're pretty amazing how how well they can take off totally totally so um uh we had our our hickories on there too which if you listen to the yeah. samuel thayer episode which is episode 40 i think yeah i think so so it's our, our foragers harvest episode he loves hickories he's yeah he went as far to say that it, if we if uh hickories were in the the mediterranean we would be throwing out and cutting down olive trees left yeah. and right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he really loves hickories, and I actually bought a bottle of his hickory oil, and I haven't. I've cooked with it a little bit, mm-hmm. and it just adds like a really, like smooth nutty flavor. Really, okay. When it's cooked, just just very very barely. If you didn't tell someone that it you should have it. that, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even know. Okay. Um, but as I haven't used it as a salad dressing yet, I want to. Um, just haven't done it, and. uh but that, like, when you just taste it raw, it has, like, it almost tastes like walnuts. It's, yeah. It's interesting. So, like, hickory, really, you might see a little bit in the coastal plain, but it likes heavier. Like, that's a, mm-hmm. a very prevalent Piedmont or Appalachian tree. Yep. Um, it has that deep taproot. Deep taproot. Uh, you know, for us, the most common are probably mockernut, uh, shag bark, uh, mm-hmm. because of the, the bark. And, and, and hickories are carrier. The, mm-hmm. um, and pignut 
Pecan is also in the Hickory family. And one thing I didn't know until I read Braiding Sweetgrass was that, you know, we talk about mast producing trees and that mm-hmm. they don't produce mast every year because if they did, they would never reproduce. Like they'd be dropping dropping nuts for squirrels and for people and there mm-hmm. would probably not be any left. So they save up and produce every few years enough enough yeah. seed oh, what was this called enough <laughs> seed to sustain itself mm-hmm. and but the interesting thing is when it happens it doesn't happen in just certain areas when pecans set mast they set mast all across the entire country so it's they don't know what triggers it or it could be two years it could be three years but when it happens it happens all at once um almost like they're communicating almost like the trees are talking to each other so i thought that was a great chapter in braiding sweetgrass when they they talk about uh pecans so um pecan pecan i don't i I don't (laughs) know another pronunciation i will say i I, I will share this story real Mm -hmm. fast so i've never had a pecan now i have nut allergies Mm -hmm. so i'm very hesitant to eat a nut that i've never had before but my fiance bought a pecan pie. She had very, very similar allergies to me, mm-hmm. and she had never had a pecan. So she bought a pecan pie and she ate it. And she called me and she was telling me how incredible this pie was. And she had eaten like a couple slices because it was so good. <laughs> yeah. And then later in the conversation, she was saying that her face was breaking out and she was really itchy and she couldn't understand why. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, the one thing that's changed, you know since it happened is this pie like you think it's the pie and she was like oh probably i guess i'll have one more piece before i throw it out (laughs) so the taste was so good yeah she had even though she was having a a minor allergic reaction to it she couldn't stop eating it. so i want to step back and talk about that um how they produce so much mass i can't remember the term it's it's blanking on me but it happens all throughout nature yeah um because you think like it, it'll drop nuts. Well, the squirrels will get them all, but so it overwhelms the so the squirrels can get as many as they possibly could. Yeah. All the animals can get as many as they possibly can, and there's still some left over. Yeah. And that happens in all segments of nature, especially with wildlife. Yeah. And that's uh, there's the argument um, within the hunting community with predators and and deer, yeah. uh, specifically coyotes. Coyotes are, are an incredible creature that can survive almost anywhere and yeah. hunters blame them and I, I'm not going to get too far into yeah. this because this is like a huge argument yeah. within that that sector um, but the hunters blame them for eating all the fawns and but what happens is it's not like deer have like one deer has a fawn one day and then another one has two the next day they just overwhelm the predators like all the fawns basically drop right at the same time they're all born yeah. within a few well a few months of each other really yeah. but it happens to a point where it overwhelms the predators and yeah they will get the predators will get their fill but there is more than enough fawns that will eventually get big enough to survive and make it yeah. through without getting picked off by a predator and that makes and, complete <clears throat> sense i didn't know that yeah it's um but it's actually a uh, I guess <laughs> I don't want to use the wrong. Term. I was going to say intelligent design. That's not <laughs> like I'm not, not mean it that way. But it was like an intelligent. It was just like a, a something that happened naturally that yeah. helped prolong that species. That's one of the ways that 
deer adapt okay. and ungulates overall adapt to the surroundings as they just they all have babies in a very very short window unlike humans who we yeah. don't have to worry about predators taking our babies at least in our part of the world yeah and um so we can have children and offspring whenever because yeah. it's not an issue yeah but they all have to have offspring and it's already pre-coded in them yeah uh, like with with all animals they have a certain breeding season and and certain uh, birthing seasons but yeah, yeah it happens all over in, in nature and i can't remember the term i looked it up the last time when we were talking about this i okay. had the term in my mind and i forgot to say it and now you'll, i can't remember what it is you'll remember <laughs> for the next one yeah. for the next buzz we'll yeah. we'll say it so um we should probably move on sassafras which is mm -hmm. a great one um would you consider that more understory I tend to, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's every time I see it, it's it is like on the edge of the woods. Even, or... It's edge of the woods. It's fairly short. I wouldn't say I've ever seen one that's like multi sim, but I've seen them branch low to the ground. So sassafras is what they make root beer from. Yep, um, and um, and that one has a cool leaf because it has three, them, three like, different leaves. Yeah, the leaves. None of them. I shouldn't say none of them look the same. They'll look the same, but they have different leaves, and some of them look like a mitten. One has, yeah. Mm -hmm. One has two, three lobes. Mm -hmm. One has two lobes, and one is is a single mm -hmm. uh single leaf so you can tell like looking at it it has three separate leaves red berry red is it red i don't Black. remember but yeah. the you know growing sassafras you know it's it's a pretty specific when you want to collect that seed you want to make sure it's ripe and the birds know better than anything when it's ripe our our propagator has said he's literally like been there trying to collect seed and having birds birds dive bomb them because it's they don't produce a lot of seed and it's it's not one we we're on we're unable to really collect a lot because it's when it's ready you have a day to collect because it's gone like the birds love uh sassafras uh seed so and i just looked it up and it's dark fruits dark fruits on okay. red stems okay all right so so yeah i'm sure at some point in one of these episodes i've given really bad information or yep. wrong information yep. so thank you for looking that up just in yep. case um tilia or basswood um is one you know it, it's not that's not something we see as often uh it's it's not at least in our forest as mm -hmm. prevalent um tilia i'm trying to remember the common name for for oh basswood i said it yeah so, <laughs> yeah. so it's and there's a lot of non-native tilias also i don't mm -hmm. think little leaf uh linden or it's linden also is is native um to here but the the american basswood is is a beautiful one yeah. uh green mm -hmm. leaf that's kind of uh like a roundish leaf, like more like a spade almost mm -hmm. i i want to say the leaf is more like yeah and uh next we had nissa sylvatica which is black gum. Yep, black gum. And then I always mix them up in my head. And then you have liquid ambar. Which is sweet which gum. I forget the second name. Styrasiflua. Yes, Styrasa that's why I forget. <laughs> Styrasiflua. So um, Nissa sylvatica or black gum, you know, it has a, a, a glossier leaf. It's a green leaf. It gets black, uh, blackberry. Mm -hmm. But it, it has a, a very brilliant um, red fall color uh, on a glossy leaf. Mm -hmm. It stands out really well. And it's a very twiggy, twiggy tree. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to explain it. There's a lot of branching and, and a lot of twigs. So, and that's a facultative, facultative wet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you find them in wet air, like wetter areas, along with red maple, um, mm -hmm. pin oak, things like that. That's that's natural habitat. You'll yeah. find it. My backyard is mainly comprised of, of yeah. black gum, sweet gum. The sweet gum. What? I'm, I Fran knows his trees way way better than I know my trees. <laughs> 
I'm just I know a lot more of the like grasses and forbs. Yeah. yeah. Um, which one has the the spiky balls? That's the sweet gum. Sweet gum. Okay, that's if, what I thought. You, if you've ever stepped on a sweet gum fruit, you'll remember. Oh, yeah. So yep. it's you know, and that one, their fall color ranges from a yellow to a red almost. Yeah, that was what I was going to bring up next. Is well, first, if you've seen uh, the Land Before Time movies. That is what the tree star looks like to me. Yeah, it's like yeah. when I look at it, I'm like, oh, that is a sweet gum leaf. Yeah, and the, yeah, the, the, the leaf looks like a star. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then on top of that, it's uh, it, during the fall, it just gets like yellow, red, purple even. Yeah. And then it'll still be a little bit green. The, the colors are just – it's literally a – rainbow on every single leaf it's yeah, incredible yeah so. it is a messy tree it does produce a lot of fruit <laughs> yeah. um and and they you know it, like again it's not something you want to step on and a lot of restorations we see because they volunteer so well they won't even spec it because they find that sweet mm -hmm. gum end up in the the restoration without even having to put it exactly. in there so yeah. uh which is a great tree um so then we had our hollies, our native hollies, which are the ilex genus. Yeah, I couldn't think of too many holly trees, trees other than yeah. American holly. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'm overlooking something so specific, but I can't think mm -hmm. of it. But American holly for us, which is, you know, like a traditional, like I think of like holiday bough, you know, yeah. with yep. the, the red fruit and the uh, the green spiky foliage. Mm -hmm. It's you know it's it's a great tree I, would i love to say it's deer resistant yeah i but i have seen deer <laughs> deer eat it in yeah. uh in heavy cold and it's winters. another species that tends to volunteer pretty readily from yeah. what i've seen and again on that concord trail that's right yeah. behind our, our nursery uh when it was private property i always heard there was a stand of american holly there yeah. And the trail goes right along the edge, and it's just such a contrast to the rest of yeah. the, the uh, species in that forest. There's, there's it's just all of a sudden there's this whole grove of fairly mature American hollies there. Yeah. An, so. an, another great Burlington County Park, if you're in the New Jersey area, is Long Bridge, which mm -hmm. it's named because there's a long bridge that goes over like a swamp mm -hmm. uh, in the park. But there's two Native American holly stands in that park that are just – you're going through these deciduous forests because we're in a temperate climate, yep. and like, yep. and and that's what you get. And then all of a sudden, you hit these huge groves of American holly, uh, evergreen. And it's just it's phenomenal to see when you mm -hmm. see, it, especially yep. when they're in, yeah. in berry. So uh, then you had uh, liriodendron, which is tulip, tulip poplar. poplar. Yeah. So and it's it's its flower is tulip like it's like fleshy colored uh, mm -hmm. flower almost, and it it does resemble a tulip. But these trees. Really, with the loss of chestnut in our forest, tulip trees are what took over because they get tall. They get oh yeah, would you sixty to a hundred feet? Oh yeah, I think they can you know, and it. and they get pretty wide. It, it's another large leaf um, mm -hmm. on it, which not really star shaped, but it's a, a larger leaf, almost like uh, sycamore, which is something we didn't even put on our list. I, I don't yeah. think, um, you know, sycamore. You'll know it's it's a very somewhat resembles a maple leaf, but like. That sometimes the leaves are as, as large as your head and sycamore you'll know which is platinous because of the peeling bark that is white underneath so you'll get the the light colored bark that peels and you'll get kind of the, like that mottled white look um they have a lot of you know unfortunately there's it, it's a prevalent tree here but it has a lot of disease issues now the seed for that is like a fuzzy ball it's kind of like the mm -hmm. same size as the sweet gum but it's 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 round and it it, it 
it almost like the seed flakes off almost like a milkweed almost um but that's a that's a great tree uh tulip poplars is a little more upland i think facultative upland you'll find that more it you, you find it a lot here in our forest you'll find it in a hickory forest a lot too mm-hmm. um it, it it translates well between between both yeah so then uh we want to talk about birch trees too we do want to talk about which birch. i think is yellow birch if you scratch the the bark smells like birch beer i think so yes yeah so but then you have uh river birch gray birch sweet birch there's a lots of different there's a birches. lot of different birch so you know our our native birches aren't as white as the european birch mm-hmm. um the european birch really you know going back into the 80s there were a lot of european birch but they don't like the heat and they would tend to get a lot mm-hmm. of mite damage um and uh leaf bore things like or bore and 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 that type of thing they just didn't like the climate they like it cooler you, you can still see a lot of european birch out in like western pa but mm-hmm. uh, like our river birch gets like a cinnamon like a, a flaking bark not like paper bark but it, it does peel and you get that yeah. cinnamon brown yeah. it's darker it's river birch because it likes that mm-hmm. that riparian buffer zone and it's it's a great facultative wet uh species which yeah. is smaller and, leaf and those will get the river birch will get really tall too and before i forget birches or betula, betula. and that one's betula nigra um, now for plant anatomy the catkins mm-hmm. the seed is that what they get the the yeah the, i think the drooping seed. is that considered a catkin i'm gonna look that up all right I may be misspeaking, but, uh, but the the river birch in particular is um, it can be a fairly messy tree because it gets big one, yeah. and then it's not necessarily leaves. It's more every time the wind blows. I have a giant one in my yeah. front yard, and you just get a bunch of little tiny branches. Anything from as big as your thumb around or your pinky around your yeah. thumb around. Usually you don't get bigger branches than that that fall, but it just has so many of those it's a lot branches. Of dead wood. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, um, of branches that fall. You know, but it's one of the most beautiful trees you can I agree. Plant. Yellow yellowish fall color. Um the sweet birch, gray birch, yellow birch are more upland, like especially the Betula populifolia because it grows so quickly. Like that's great for phytoremediation they found that um that, that likes that the gray birch. So in it, with birches, they are catkins, um, and they uh, you have male and female flowers. The the male flowers are short, or excuse me, the male flowers are long. They're two okay. to four inches long. Yeah. The female flowers are shorter, one to two inches long, and uh, and at least in um, I don't know what species they're talking about. That's a specific species, okay. but they right. they'll have. They are called catkins. That's okay. what I really right. look at. They were right. called catkins, and I got too far ahead of myself. But um, in some species of birches, they'll actually form in the fall and then carry over to the winter yeah. before they actually release pollen. You know what? The next one I wrote down, I wrote down by accident, and I'm wondering if it's – I don't even know if that's native, to be honest. I think – I was looking it up because I saw it on there. So yeah. we're, we're I talking meant to write about, black walnut. Yeah, on the list, which is Juglans nigra, which is you know we talked about it with Samuel Thayer. You get this uh, pod that comes out when the tannins actually stain your skin if you if you're holding them. Like you'll it will stain your skin for a couple days actually. Um, but black walnut are one of those things where it's not everything likes to grow underneath of that tree <laughs> because mm-hmm. of of 
of the nature of that tree. And I think American beech is the same way uh, because of what it releases into the soil. It You really have to get the right match. Now, with, with beech, there's a lot of European varieties with purple leaves and, and weeping. But the American beech is, is uh, it's that smooth, silvery bark. Mm-hmm. Um, and the leaves hold on. They get a yellow fall color, and they hold on through most of the winter before yeah. they drop, yeah. actually. Did now, you look up? Now, the what mo- Fran actually wrote here was black locust, locust which yeah. when I was peeking ahead, I'm like, oh, I thought that was – I don't. I was like, I don't know if that's native or invasive. I don't think invasive. it's necessarily – So I looked it up. It's it, it does have a native range in okay. the U.S., and it's tended to be native in Appalachia. They don't know yeah. exactly – they're not exactly sure because it does have so many invasive characteristics. Yeah, it really can spread nitrogen super super fast. Also, it is yeah, and um, and that's something where the the leaves are, uh, I get what are they called complex leaves? Yeah, and uh, yeah. so they have multiple leaves or on compound, a compound compound leaves. leaves. Excuse me, on a single stem, uh, and. If you have if you have a pool in your yard, you probably know this plant because yeah. it just it flowers in early May and April, early May, and then it just drop around here at least and just drops all these flowers and if you've ever wanted to see what it looks like to snow in in on memorial day that's what it's like and it's if you have a pool i've learned around here because i have a whole hedgerow of these uh i don't open the pool until after memorial day at least until after those flowers are gone because it gets overwhelming now when we had samuel Mm -hmm. thayer on i talked about eating flowers with my fiance Mm -hmm. that was the tree that we were because she was saying she knew from poland that those flowers were edible mm-hmm. you know and it, it that's yeah. that was i couldn't remember the tree at the time that was the tree that we were eating flowers yeah. from so uh then one i talked about last time that isn't really the rest of the same with the hollies the yeah. rest of the the genus is tends to be or i shouldn't say that is uh we had black cherry or prunus serotina yeah um as on there but Which a lot you have do have a lot of prunuses that are more shrub shrub like uh, and uh and this one is definitely a tree like uh, I'm trying to think, is it choke cherry that is that is tree um, uh, Prunus virginiana? I may be putting the wrong common name on it, um, but black cherry is if you're in. I I don't know about all parts of the country, but of course it all comes down to food and drink for us. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a <laughs> Philadelphia soda company called Frank's, and as a kid they made a black cherry Wishniak soda. Mm. Uh, which was delicious. So it's not the size of your traditional cherry. It's a much smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't look – it still has like a little bit of that traditional cherry bark to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it has like a long drooping flower, uh, kind of like black locust yeah, in the yeah. – in the, or like a clethra or summer yeah, sweet. That's, it has it, a it very always similar, reminds me of a clethra flower. Yeah. Um, and usually don't – again, you don't see the flowers because they're so far up. Yeah. Like, and this is another great species for – Lepidoptera uh, species. Yeah. It just provides habitat, or it's um, a host plant for so many different insects. The, the Prunus genus as a whole yeah. is is really important. And I, and I looked up choke cherry there, and it says that it can form a uh, large erect shrub or a small tree. Okay, so, all right, uh, with yeah. a height to over thirty feet. Okay, all right, great. So uh, you know, and and things that we didn't even—it's funny what we didn't put on our list. You know, oh. like speaking <laughs> of understory trees, because we may have talked like. Uh, flowering dogwood mm-hmm. that uh, was Cornish, one i was going to bring Cornish, up. Yeah. florida and circus canadensis because we mm-hmm. were saying that sometimes that can just be a large shrub but yep. um canadian redbud mm-hmm. um the the two of them are great uh early flowering good understory they get like 20 to 30 feet tall but they mm-hmm. make good 
you know, singular trees, single stem, multi stem. Yeah. Uh, you could put one by itself or both, or, uh, or at least the, the red bud is a great early season food source yeah. for pollinators. I'm yeah. sure the dogwood has specific pollinators that, that go to it as well. Yeah. But so um, I can't believe that was left off the list. Yeah. The, the other one I noticed was left off the list was American elm. And maybe because it's, it's, mm-hmm. you don't see it as much. You know, there's yeah. a lot of, uh, hybrids or Princeton elms that mm-hmm. you would see around, but it, it was such an important tree that based. I, I have a Princeton elm in my front yeah. yard, actually, and that traditional vase shaped elm tree. Mm-hmm. Which and is, that was another one I was going to bring up because if you look at uh, Dr. Talamy's work, that's another one that he says is super, yeah. super important, and it's it's really going away. Yeah, it's um just there's there's too much disease or not disease pressure, but pest yeah. pressure on yeah. it. It's it's going to disappear from our landscape probably sooner than later my so. mine has issues I, I i gotta be honest it's 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 doing well but i i've noticed with the leaves that it, it does mm-hmm. it does you know have yep. have problems so yeah uh and then we want to talk about our pines okay um, we have yeah. a ton of native pines um yeah. and that's again as saul's mentioned is uh yeah. is your your pinus uh, genus. Yeah, Pinus rigida, which is pitch pine. Uh, you'll find a lot of these in our pine barrens, Virginia pine, mm-hmm. uh, short needle, which is Pinus echinata. Yep. Um, loblolly, which is really more generally, you might get a little bit of that here, but it's more of a southern mm-hmm. uh, southern pine. Those are our traditional Pinus strobus. I'm not sure of the range for that. Is that more northern? I believe it is. Which is your traditional white pine, which to me is a messy, messy tree. Um you know, and I know like pitch pine and short needle pine are very close. I think the whorls of the needles, one has two needles and the other one has three needles. So it's, to me, you can kind of tell from the bark because I think the the uh, short needle pine is a little more platelet in its bark. But some of these pines are so close in look, mm-hmm. it's it's hard. I'm, yeah. I'm not I'm not great with my pine ID. I'm not either. I know, yeah, I know some of it just boils down to how many needles are coming out of. Yeah, the whorls and the, the needles, yeah. yeah. Um, and then another one was, and this is not native here, but native south, yeah. is is the longleaf pine. And you actually yeah. have the longleaf pine alliance and the shortleaf pine alliance. Yeah. Uh, but they are working really hard to reestablish some of these uh, pine savannas that yeah. have somewhat disappeared over the landscape. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention, speaking of understory trees, too, Carpinus uh, caroliniana, mm-hmm. which is our, our native ironwood or musclewood, it's called, because of the, the way the, the bark actually looks like mussels. Because mm-hmm. uh, yep. it's a, a very smooth trunk, uh, and it kind of looks like like mussels. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's such an interesting trunk when you see it. If you haven't seen one, look one up, because it's just... Yeah. It's not what you think of. Like, a tree shouldn't look like that, and that one does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that's a pretty well-rounded. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, you, you said we weren't going to do an hour and a half. And, and we're there. We're, we're pretty <laughs> much there. So um, what your, was uh, – oh, I was going to ask you. What's your favorite tree? So this is one that you could easily argue it's a, a large shrub or a small tree, but Cyanthus virginicus, which is white fringe tree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not it's, – it's, I don't know if this is – it's native range. I know it's a little more southern, but very fragrant. Uh, the flowers are fringes. It, it you know, it kind of like Magnolia virginiana, which we didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with it's it's like a larger multi-stem mm-hmm. uh, type tree. Uh, but uh, Magnolia virginiana, which is uh, 
you know, it's it's north, it, it's native here, but it goes further south. It's only semi deciduous mm-hmm. in the south, yep. and it's a summer flower that's very fragrant. Um, the white fringe tree, uh, very fragrant. It, it's mm-hmm. striking when it flowers. It's not something you see often, but when you see it, you you notice it. Yeah. yeah. So my favorite was uh, was not the white oak. I actually picked the red oak. Oh, nice. Which is the state tree of New Jersey, and that's why I picked it. And it's something at the nursery. Um, we actually give out to uh, our local elementary schools, our local high school, yeah. and then uh, to Rutgers University as well. There's, I forget what program it is. There's a specific program. Naps? Is it Naps? I don't I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's uh, a program at Rutgers that for so the elementary school, high school, and then that part of Rutgers graduation, they actually get a red oak seedling donated by Pylons Nursery at yeah. their their graduation i got one when i graduated high school and my, my sons got them the house that i moved into their kids had gotten them and their kids are probably uh at least 15 years older than i okay. i am so when i moved in now this was i was 28 or 27 so they were pretty they were like 20 years old when i moved in one was like probably 22 years older than the other one and there are just beautiful beautiful trees that are in our front yard awesome. and i know they're so helpful one for uh for all the birds and insect life in the area uh, they're providing a lot of habitat they put out a lot of leaves which are great for uh for um again insects and and then birds and stuff that lay their eggs or, or overwinter or yeah. feed on that the the that kind of stuff that lives under the leaf litter uh so yeah they're just awesome just such beautiful trees and then in the fall it gets that that like glowing red color for a period of time I, i'm still thinking there's so many trees we we didn't even discuss because oh, yeah. i was just thinking mm-hmm. scarlet oak which you know the leaf is very similar it's more of a cut oak mm-hmm. leaf like pin oak and if you put the leaves together they're very similar and even the bark is similar but the habit where palustrous mm-hmm. is more conical mm-hmm. scarlet oak is more upright so i was yeah. just thinking about that as you were there saying was that. that and then all the different like white oak leaves versus red oak leaves where yeah. white oak leaves are rounded yeah. at the tips and red oak leaves are pointy the another thing i was going to bring up and because i and i have to do it because my dad yeah. would get mad if i didn't because he's really pounded this in my yeah. head as uh is the mnemonic device madcap horse and how it's used there's with trees and, and shrubs you have alternate branching versus opposite branching uh there are very i should say very few but there's fewer genera that are opposite branching and you can remember that by using madcap horse which is uh maple trees ash trees dogwood trees uh the caprifoliaceae family which is um viburnums are in there uh the native honeysuckles um a couple other species and then the last one the horse is for horse chestnut yeah. so so you know and and we didn't even discuss there you know when you're iding trees you know there's a lot of different ways is it deciduous or evergreen is it ultimate oh, yeah. or opposite mm-hmm. branching when does it flower when does it fruit? this probably does could have been fruit? like a three episode <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> three episodes yeah, on its own totally. for trees but. so so i guess that wraps that up and and i want to bring back a segment that we we maybe don't do every week so oh i don't even not that I'm one to complain, but I have a complaint. So I thought would be relevant. All right, hit um, me with it. So 
I I know I recently watched the documentary Seaspiracy on Netflix, and I got you to watch it mm-hmm. as well. I thought it was very well done. Like any documentary, there's biases. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and and but if if you get past that, I think it brought up a lot of great yeah. points. Yeah, and that's and, when we talked about it, that's what I agreed with him. Like, once you can kind of peel past all the bias, like yeah. the 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 information they were presenting was, was great information. Was pretty good information yeah. and, and pretty revealing in yeah. a lot of cases. So, without being a huge spoiler alert, but it you know, if you haven't watched it, you may want to fast forward 30 seconds or so, but basically they they went in the the person who does the documentary goes in to explore plastic waste in our ocean and how it affects everything. Mm-hmm. And as as he peeled the layers back, he realized that a lot of these organizations that are preaching about single single use plastic bags or single use plastic straws, they're being funded by fishing organizations that preach sustainable fishing but aren't really sustainable fishing mm-hmm. it all tends to be a yeah. marketing thing like sustainable fishing and this yeah it's to get the focus away from overfishing our oceans yeah some of it was about overfishing yeah. and then a good portion of it was that a lot of these fishing nets are dumped and, and fishing apparatuses yeah. well, and i'm not talking about your your local fisherman that's yeah. down at the pond and they have to cut their line that Probably happens too commercial but this is commercial fishing where they're dumping nets that are plastic and sometimes not plastic and they talk they, about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and how that's like forty six percent is fishing fishing nets. stuff. But <laughs> they don't they don't tell so, you about that. Yeah, on they these say, websites. oh yeah, we need to reduce single use straws and single use bags and single use straws. They said made up like point zero three percent of the Great Barbage Great Pacific bar, uh, Garbage Patch. Yeah, and not saying that mm. those aren't important issues, but it's a little bit of a sleight of hand. Like, look at this hand. Don't watch what's going on over here. Yep. And that's. Yeah. That's kind of what he was getting at. So, and it made me really think of marketing because this is all marketing. And, mm-hmm. you know, in our Becky LeBoy brought it up in our last episode, rooted discussion about uh, gardening with native plants. And we talked about cultivars. And, you know, we, we keep saying, well, maybe it's a necessary evil and it's a gateway drug to get people into native plants. But it's also a huge business um Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of money it's a multi-million dollar business uh plant patents and plant trademarks so every time they come out with a new Mm -hmm. native plant cultivar that's that's going into someone's pocket like and of course they're going to say you know they're pretty close it does some of the things Mm -hmm. it's a gateway drug it will get people you know, well, you could take that same marketing dollars and market native plants, but they're not making as much money off of it. They're yeah. not; their pockets aren't getting lined by selling native plants. Their pockets are getting lined. Now, I worked at two nurseries that had a lot of patents, mm-hmm. like huge amount of patents. The one had over four hundred. Those patents made more money than the rest of the nursery. Like, mm-hmm. and and one of these nurseries was a three thousand acre nursery. So yeah. you can imagine like how lucrative selling plant patents are. Um, and to keep having new ones coming out so that you have a constant source of revenue. And it's there's a lot less overhead. <laughs> so, And I'll, I'll rephrase it just for, yeah. in case anyone's not kind of following that whole – we kind of know about it in the native yeah. plant business. But similar to uh, if you were a musician and you had a song that was on the radio or selling CDs, you get a royalty every time it's used in a yeah. commercial or every time yeah. it's used for this. You're getting a few cents probably, but yeah. – when it's played a million times, that few cents adds up very fast. Same thing happens with plants. Yeah. When someone creates a like a, a new variety of a plant, where it's a cross or, or a selection, 
um, and they own the patent on that plant. Every time, every that, time plant that, is that plant is, yeah. is propagated and sold, they get a small portion of that sale. Yeah. Um, so they don't even have to grow it. You can have the patent license it to someone yep. else, and they have to pay a percentage of every plant they produce back to to that yeah. person. So, yeah, their market. You're going to put marketing into that to say mm-hmm. that it's it's not a bad thing, that it's it's a good thing. So, it, it made me think. You know, at the end of conspiracy, which is it made you a conspiracy theorist but i I think what you're saying is a little valid yeah and where he says the only way you can really stop this whole fishing conspiracy is to stop eating fish Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily realistic but if you really want cultivars to stop happening you got to stop buying them Mm -hmm. you know and that would if people aren't buying them there's not as much of a business there would be less focus on it Mm -hmm. so if if you can plant the straight species even if it's not that you know we always preach local provenance i'd rather see you plant uh, a straight species that isn't the correct provenance than a cultivar yeah and for my input i i agree with a lot of friends saying and i have yeah. some like uh, a devil's advocate argument yeah. but yeah. i'm going to save that for our eventual Ooh. cultivar episode which isn't okay. planned for anyone listening we don't have that plan yet it's going to happen sometime in the next yeah. six months yeah and, and i'm not saying there's not advantages to some of these yeah. things i'm yeah. just saying if you peel the curtain back a little bit there is some motive that mm-hmm. maybe most people don't see, because, yeah. and it is money driven because it's a huge, huge business. There's mm-hmm. there's nurseries that literally don't grow plants; all they do are are patent plants. So, it's 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 a money maker, and, yeah. And they want yeah. to con- want it to continue to be a money mm-hmm. maker. Heck, I would like to just collect royalties. Yeah, you know, yep. but we're not collecting anything <laughs> off this podcast. All right, you, you, I'm going to get the pod deck. Okay, do you want to still do it? Uh yeah, I guess we can have a we're, little bit of time, right? We're at about an hour and thirty five minutes. Okay, so, it's up to you. All right, can you can you keep everyone occupied for a minute? Yeah, I'm gonna try. So, um, I'm gonna hit back on the the invasive plant thing again. And like I said, this is the best time to go out and uh, for, just for calorie pair to look for calorie pair and try and do something. Educate your base. Like that that's part of the whole native plant argument is educating your base not just about why native plants are good but why some of these invasive plants are bad um and uh we've seen it just locally where you have uh, big developments coming in and they were wanted to use calorie pair and you got enough information out there about how it is damaging even though it's not illegal in new jersey to sell that it's damaging enough that we shouldn't use it and we've convinced some people otherwise so that's a big thing is educate people not just about natives but also the invasives and and why they should make that switch all right did i do okay frank you did awesome you did awesome (laughs) and while i was out i did find out that the pine bough in our logo is non-specific it was just a it's actually just a a sketch okay of a pine all right i just assumed my dad started the nursery when he was living in the pine barrens. You have tons of pitch pine there, so I just always assumed it was a pitch pine. It's <laughs> now now we could ask your dad. I, I asked your mom. We could ask your dad and get a different answer. Yeah, but your, yeah. your mom says it's it's non-specific. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna pick. Here's my pod deck cards. Share your favorite online influencer. Oh man! So we can do that as far as um, um, native plants. Who's your favorite online native plant influencer? My favorite. I have my answer. If you have your answer, I'm letting you go first. Okay, I'm going to say Benjamin Vote. Mm-hmm. Oh know, yeah, uh, that's a good one. You know because that's... Benjamin's not afraid to tell you exactly 
what he feels and he's not afraid to ruffle some feathers mm-hmm. you know and he he doesn't waver and he's very consistent in his message um and if you follow him it's it's a great message you know he he it more than anything he gets you to think and i and i like that so he he has a very strong following i know he has his his next book coming out soon but he is i would say by far he's my favorite online native plane influencer mm-hmm. um i'm gonna choose one that i'm gonna assume a lot of people are are familiar with but i'm not really sure and uh the favorite part is tough it's my favorite because i'm appreciative of what she's doing but it's the founder of the pollinator friendly yards group um, and her name is Leslie Nelson Inman. And I don't always agree with everything she puts up, but she puts in so much work into that group and just making sure that there's really good graphics coming out. Um, she's taking like she's taking a similar approach to what we're trying to take with our social media pilots nursery. Get something that can be shared. Put something out there that people are gonna say, hey, this is a really good graphic that I can share with uh, my mother-in-law, father-in-law, friends on Facebook. Just put it out on Facebook and gardening groups, and then people can gain some information and really track that. So, yeah. like I said, some of the things for me, I look at I'm like, eh, I'm not on board with what she's saying yeah. there. But there's plenty of stuff that she puts out that is is like it's just so shareable it's so easy to grab onto and say hey you want to switch from like i just said switch from invasive plants to native plants here's why and they have such a large following too she she's spreading such a great message Mm -hmm. um far and wide and anything that can bring attention to that good message is wonderful i agree i don't always love the group (laughs) but but that's not necessarily on her it's more on like you have 60 some thousand people in there that you're gonna have some people who just are just have differing opinions yeah. and are both very vocal about their opinions and yeah. uh, and it, it happens in every group. And that's why I didn't pick a group. Yeah, I I, I went with and, yeah. and Benjamin. You're not always gonna agree with what he says too, mm-hmm. but I respect yeah what he says. But realistically, there's there's not a lot of online native plant influ- influences. You no. have Benjamin Vogue, like Doug yeah. Doug Talm, He's not really online himself yeah. um like even claudia west she's not doesn't have a huge online presence i, I would say benjamin Vogue of like the the authors probably has the best i think heather holm does a decent amount yeah i think on I, Facebook. I, she would I have been a good heather choice too. too yeah but no that's an interesting question i was skeptical i think i've said it a bunch of times i was skeptical about these pod decks at first but i've grown to like them a lot yeah i so. i look forward to them i think it's yeah you know, my concern is, like I said, eventually we're going to run through these, or there's ones that we're yeah. not going to be. That's able when to we do. get the expansion pack. That's I think there is an expansion pack. So, uh, you know, this was I, I think for these, this was I got two decks mm-hmm. for twenty bucks, not and bad. the other deck is interview questions. Mm-hmm. So yep. maybe next time we have people that we know really well, we'll pull that yeah, one yeah, out yeah. and and pull like a an oddball interview question. Yeah, sounds good. We'll sounds let them good. pick one. Well, so, there that you go. is it. Thank you again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz. Thank you again, everyone for listening to the native plants, healthy planet presented by Pines nursery. Uh, always, as always, thank you to RJ Comer for our buzz theme music. I think that gives us a great identity. Make sure you stream or buy RJ's music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume your music. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland nursery, Facebook at Pinelands nursery, NJ, instagram at pinelands nursery and youtube at pinelands nursery we have our question and comment line that we uh, talked about earlier you can call us at 215-346-6189 
I will repeat that, 215-346-6189, and ask a question. If we pick your question or comment, we will play it and answer it on a future episode of The Buzz. Uh, and please don't forget about our Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group that just keeps growing exponentially, and the conversations have been great. Some new members today posting new uh, questions, mm-hmm. which which was wonderful, uh, and we'll keep the conversation going over there. Yeah, yeah. Make sure every time you log into Facebook, oh. I had to get one more oh. in. You're going right through. Our <laughs> I group. saw you smiling. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. You can listen uh, to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can also check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast, you're going to find be able to find us. When you're there, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this with a friend. That really, really helps. Um, and as always, you can always ask Alexa to play the Native Plants Healthy Planet uh, podcast basically hands-free yeah so please do that as well so with that thanks everyone i'm tom and i am fran thank you again everyone we'll see you again next time with our meter guest uh we're not going to divulge who it is yet because it's it's one of two people we're not quite sure yet we haven't uh nailed it down yet but we'll let you know shortly thank you again for joining us and until then keep it native Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.